But nobody has no place to go. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Welcome to the party, pal, indeed. <laughs> and welcome to a bonus holiday episode of Illuminates, a very special Illuminates Die Hardness. That's right. I am Kelly Al Powell Powers. I'm Brent Bubby Phillips. Ah, <laughs> uh, and this is Christmas. Uh, we we really wanted to get a, a just sort of a quick Christmas episode out there. Um, one, just because... We love this movie. And two, I think it's important that we settle this ongoing debate about whether Die Hard can be considered a Christmas movie or not. You say there's a debate, but there's not. So the crux of this debate, from what I understand, is you have Christmas movies, and then you have movies that, that take... happen to take place on Christmas, and they are not the same thing. Uh, I think the difference is for Die Hard is that it uses the elements of Christmas as part of its plot. That's why he's there. Mm -hmm. It's uh, why there's a Christmas party. It's he dresses the guy up like Santa and sends him down. It's like the whole thing is family coming together. Yeah. I, I honestly, I honestly can't distinguish this from being a, I mean, I don't see what the difference is between this and, say, It's a Wonderful Life, which I think is inarguably a Christmas movie. Heard it here first, folks. Kelly thinks Die Hard and It's a Wonderful Life are what I'm the saying same is, movie. I'm saying they are easily just as good a film. <laughs> easily. As each other. Well, I mean, you could say It's a Wonderful Life is not a Christmas movie. It just takes place on Christmas. Well, I mean, like, think about, like, Home Alone. Sure. It takes place on Christmas, but it's about a boy setting traps for burglars. Sure. It's not about him and Santa having... It's not like... There's like movies like Elf, which are absolutely about Santa and okay. the concept of Christmas. But that is not all Christmas movies. Most of them just take place on Christmas. All right, And so share some themes. Some, some, I think, basic qualifiers for a Christmas film would be... One, you got Christmas music. Check. Sure. Yeah. Got Check. It. This movie starts off with Christmas time in Hollis. I mean, we're we're fast into Christmas music. Um, it's the got cop sings Christmas songs. Cop sings Christmas songs. We got um, all the Christmas iconography all over the place. So we have, like you said, there's a Santa scene. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, it's a corpse, <laughs> but it says oh ho ho. But he says it's a very jolly, right? <laughs> Ho, He's got, ho, 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 ho. Um, there's uh, father bringing presents for his kids. He's got the giant teddy bears getting off that plane. That's right. For his kids. Um, there's lots of talk about Christmas and this is the time of miracles. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, that's from terrorist slash super thief Hans Gruber. <laughs> but still, it's there. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's a strong argument in favor of this being a Christmas film. And I'll say another thing, too. I don't know why, but there are certain movies that I don't want to watch in July. I'm never going to put on, say, It's a Wonderful Life 
uh, on Fourth of July. And but would like, you watch Die Hard in July? No, not probably not. Really, I, mm. I never have. Because see, I think you can make a decent case that Die Hard could take place in the middle of the summer, and the movie would be very little changed. So that's an interesting point, and I would argue that the the emotional subtext of this film, that of John McClane trying to reconcile with his wife Holly, sure is made more poignant because of the time of year that it's taking place. Uh, it's enhanced by It's it. definitely enhanced. The, the whole idea of coming together, his family reuniting for Christmas, getting back with his wife, putting all this trouble that they've had with each other over the course of the last however many months behind them and trying to reconcile at Christmas. That's a bigger deal emotionally for me somehow because it's happening around the holiday season rather than just on, you know, May 5th or something. Fair enough. I think. Christmas movie. I mean, I think we both vote the same way. Yeah. And uh, so that's kind of a landslide vote. <laughs> I mean, I don't hear a dissenting opinion. Once again, we want to thank you for joining us and we hope you all have a happy, <laughs> safe, merry Christmas. Um, I wanted to ask you what you know about... Uh, the evolution of this film. This one? Yeah. I know they went after a bunch of people before they got to... Uh, but I mean, even before it was a movie, this was a book. book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the book... I the book wasn't that good. I don't know. Maybe. You, you haven't read it? I haven't read it. Right. So the book was entitled uh, Nothing Lasts Forever. And Nothing Lasts Forever was itself a sequel to another book that had been made into a movie. <laughs> so the original book and movie were entitled The Detective and okay. the movie version was played by uh, Old Blue Eyes Frank Sinatra alright so Frank was the detective and this was like 1978 or something like that okay. something like that and uh, apparently it was like this really serious uh, adult detective movie not a lot of fun to it Certainly not something you're ever going to So is the book not fun either? I, I don't know. No. But, so that was the original book. The, the sequel was written, Nothing Lasts Forever, and for a long time it languished in development, development hell. hell yeah. to get a movie made. And by the time they were actually making the movie, um, they still had to offer the role originally to Frank Sinatra because of the contract that he had <laughs> yeah. from the first film. So they had to go to Frank, who's now in his, I think, early 70s, late 60s, and say, hey, Frank. Oh, man. Oh, and she said yes just to fuck up. Frank, them. just being gracious, is like, I think I'm well beyond that, folks. Please <laughs> take me out of the running for this film. <laughs> the chairman of the board is going to sit back on this one. They should have given him another role in it, though. That would have been fine. He should have been an executive or something, just to be, just to have fun. You know who Frank Sinatra could have been a good. He could have been a good. Uh, uh, what's uh, the the Breakfast Club principal's character? Uh, oh, the police, the chief? deputy chief. Deputy chief. He would have been a good deputy chief. I would have liked to see Frank as a jerk. I would like to see him as been the actual chief that shows up at the end or something like that. That would have been neat. Yeah. Like, he doesn't, like, I don't think Frank Sinatra wants to show up for several days of shooting. He could have shown up for, like, a cameo at the end. Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to, 
Frank's got no time yeah. for... He did... He's already lived a very full <laughs> life. He does not need this shit. Yeah. Um, so anyway, once they were finally actually making this movie, and Frank had graciously said, please do this without me, I'm not involved anymore, uh, they threw it out to a whole bunch of people, as you said. Hmm. Uh, some names that they threw it out to, and these are people who were considered, and a couple of them actually got as far as rejecting the the offer of the film. Um, we had, let's see, uh, De Niro, Robert De Niro, I know, was, was he, he actually rejected it, said no thanks, but they offered it to him. Hmm. Try to imagine him as McLean. Maybe. A little midnight runny, I think. Yeah. I don't think it... I mean, it would be a little different. I think... I think uh, Bruce Willis has, like, comedy chops that De Niro... Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say De Niro doesn't have any kind of chops, but, like... But again, Midnight Run. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, who else was it? Uh, Richard Gere. No. Stallone. <laughs> everything double super no. <laughs> everything's offered to Stallone. For Harrison Ford, Mel Gibson. Ford could have done it. Sure. Oh, Gibson yeah. could have done it. Arnold. It was they even make a film. joke about Arnold in the movie. It's an action film, and yeah, they did work him in there, didn't they? Yeah. Eastwood. They said something like, enough C4 to orbit Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. And I was like, what does that even mean? <laughs> Apparently he's very heavy, I guess. I don't know. But uh, Clint Eastwood, Clint Eastwood was actually attached for a little while and then said no. Uh, Charles Bronson. Oh, man. Sure. Both Don, of them seem old even for the time. Yeah. Not as old as, say, Frank Sinatra, but no, old enough. Yeah. Don Johnson. He could have done it. Michael Madsen. Uh, he's He has a hard time being likable. He does. Here's the one that I wish... I want to visit the alternate Earth where this is. Yeah, happened. it has it. Richard Dean Anderson. MacGyver. He could have done it. He could have been a great John McClane. I just want to see MacGyver on a, in a Die Hard film. That would be awesome. He his, he was typecast by then, though, right? Like, I don't th- it would have been so weird to have him in that situation and not build like a bomb out of a pen. Like, <laughs> yeah, seriously. Because <laughs> he even does a little MacGyvery stuff where he does the C four on the seat the and the thing. It. Yeah, yeah. Um. So. The original screenplay was based on the novel Nothing Lasts Forever, and the book, like the screenplay originally, followed an older John McClane. I don't know if he was called John McClane, but he was called whatever the hero was called in The Detective, mm-hmm. um, who goes to Los Angeles not to reconcile with his wife, but to reconcile with his adult daughter, mm. who worked at the building. Yeah. And... In the original screenplay, apparently the daughter ends up dropping from the from the building instead of Hans Gruber, whoops, and falls to her death, and it's a real bummer. That sucks. Yeah, because her 69, 70 year old dad couldn't hold on to her because he's dangling <laughs> off the side of the oh, high rise. That's awful. <laughs> um, and apparently in the original screenplay, the terrorists were straight up terrorists they did not turn out to be thieves pretending to be terrorists they were just terrorists no oh, interesting for whatever terrorist reasons that they were maybe their demands were legit demands that they release their fellow brethren from various yeah prisons all over the world i don't know um but then they they rewrote this they they gave the screenplay to this guy uh jeb 
Stewart, and Jeb Stewart rewrote it um, after he's he's working on the script for a while and he, he can't figure out how to uh, how to make it work. It's just really dour and and got no heart. And he gets into this huge argument with his wife, and he drives. He gets in his car and drives off, and he gets into a car accident. And he felt like he could have died. And he realized as he was crashing his car that all he wanted to do was go home and make up with his wife before he died. And he goes, that's it. I'll rewrite the movie as Guy trying to reconcile with his wife after a huge argument that was all his fault. Nice. And that's that's what he put the, rewrote the movie, and it worked for him after that. And he was able to make it work. Nice. So that's what became Die Hard. Uh, so there's two, I think, two... Uh, leads in this film we got bruce willis of course as john McClane, but the other being reginald bell johnson as al powell and with a crossover from family matters so i mean those of us who were watching back in the day (laughs) know this actor from family matters and it's so weird that he is a uniform cop in both yeah he's not a detective or i guess he is a sergeant so it is so weird. Do we know what his rank the... was in Family Matter? I have no idea. No, but my point was, he really shouldn't have been on patrol as a sergeant. Yeah, that is weird. He said he was he was on desk duty. Was he not on patrol? Maybe he was. Maybe he was just going to get the Twinkies for his pregnant wife. Yeah, but then why a take a unclear. patrol car? I don't know. I don't know if cops can just requisition a patrol car to drive around to like the Seven Eleven. I think you have like your car. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he said, they never really explained explained why he was out on patrol, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm on desk duty." Yeah, that doesn't he's make. Like, any, are you? I hadn't even thought of that. You're not at your desk. That doesn't make any sense. He was clearly in a patrol car, out on the streets, after telling John. Well, later he tells John that he was only on the streets in his youth. Well, I've seen this movie. I don't know, twenty, thirty times. It only really bothered me this time. Man, I never thought of it until just this second. Hmm. I right. mean, bother is strong, but I was just like, what? Okay, A, you're a sergeant. What are you doing on patrol? And B, you just said you're not allowed to patrol because you won't draw your yeah. gun. What are you doing? So when we were first talking about doing this Christmas episode and we said we wanted to do Die Hard, mm-hmm. you and I were talking about how he's a cop in both Family Matters and Die Hard, and we had canoned that this was same universe. This was in universe. Absolutely. And that... Al Powell's wife is pregnant with Urkel. Mrs. No, no. Urkel <laughs> was his neighbor. Oh, that's right. Mrs. Winslow. I, I didn't watch a ton of Family Matters. Mrs. Sorry. Winslow is a uh, Family Matters. I forget what her, Harriet, I think, was, what was her name. Harriet Winslow. But so the whole thing about Al that you find out later in the film is that he hasn't drawn his gun in like a couple of years since the big incident happened where he accidentally drew on and shot a 13-year-old kid who had like a plastic ray gun in the dark and he panicked and shot him (laughs) and it was immediately our headcanon that this is this is why he had such patience for urkel (laughs) because he couldn't he didn't want to shoot him (laughs) couldn't go back to the darkness (laughs) whatever happened and could not draw the gun on urkel um which i maintain is the only reason not to shoot urkel but he got the ability to shoot again at the end of the movie. Easily so. the most annoying character in 90s television, Steve Urkel. Hmm. More annoying than Fran Drescher? 
The nanny. Oh, jeez. I don't. To be honest, I avoided the nanny like the plague. So <laughs> that voice just killed me. I couldn't deal with it. I don't know. Urkel's voice is really grating too. That's true. That's true too. Um. Yeah, he does. He does get the the ability to shoot back at the very end of the movie. Thank goodness. Uh, where he destroys Carl. So let's talk about the bad guys in this film. You got Hans Gruber, who's our, our main bad guy, played mm-hmm. by Alan Rickman. And this was this was nineteen eighty eight. Uh, yeah, you said this is his first movie. This That's was his insane. first film role ever. Alan Rickman. He was 41 at the time of this this movie. Hey, man, I still got five years Do to it, start man. my film career. Absolutely. That's plenty of time. Of course, by that time, he'd already had lots of years on stage and even television. That doesn't count for shit, man. That's true. I'll be fine. <laughs> in fact, my understanding also, is... Also, he can act. Yeah. Wait, Alan, Alan Rickman can act? Treasure. Alan Rickman, R.I.P. Alan Rickman. Um, but my understanding is that the uh, either several producers or like one of the producers and, a, and the director were at a play that Rickman was in and watched him perform and said, "This is this is who we want to be, Gruber, right here." Nice. And they reached out to him like almost immediately to try and get him to do it. And he wasn't sure whether he wanted to do it because he was he was not sure he liked the role. Um, and he was afraid of being typecast, which I got to say is legit because this is such a quintessential Alan Rickman role. Yeah. When you think of him, you think of this and Snape. Who he is the calculating villain. Yeah. Now, granted, those are great calculating villains, but it was a legit concern. He did a lot of other stuff in between. Sure. <laughs> to be fair. But, like, it's weird did you ever see the movie Love Actually? Mm-hmm. So Love Actually, Alan Rickman's all over that film. He's got a major role in that film. He's a another Christmas movie. Another Christmas movie, very much. He's a he's a you know normal dude. He's just a an office manager. He runs some sort of magazine or something. But he's a nice guy. He's not an sure. evil. Well, he's not a villain or anything. Sure, he yeah, cheats. Yeah, yeah. He cheats on his wife in the in the film. I'm not saying that's great, but but he's like. He loves his kids, and he's trying to help his one employee uh, with her with her love life. Their date, yeah, and, and try to match those two together. And he's you know he's not a Hans Gruber, but all I can think when I see him in that role is that it's weird he's not being villainous. Yeah. Okay. And you know Snape. Then he was typecast for you. And Snape turned out to be. Not the villain everyone thought he was, but even that was still He's pretty much a still villain. a dick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was officially not a villain. Always a dick. It's funny, it always makes me think of, uh, on Reddit they have those, am I the asshole things, you know what I'm yeah, talking yeah. about? And then the ratings are, not the asshole, you're the asshole. Or one of them is ESH for everyone sucks here. I always think of that whenever I think of Harry <laughs> Potter, because like, everyone's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> like Dumbledore, Dumbledore was a dick. Yeah. Snape was a dick. Obviously, the villains are dicks. Harry's a dick constantly. It's you just got a like... point there. You look at Dumbledore, who is like <laughs> Ron's a dick. It's like everyone but Hermione was a dick at some point. That's so true. <laughs> Dumbledore is like the paragon of virtue in that universe, and he until does, he's not. Yeah. He does horrible things to that kid. Like he doesn't tell Harry anything he needs to know. They ever. don't really double down on it in the movies, like they did in the book, but like. I don't know if it's six or seven where you like find out exactly what Dumbledore had been up to, but you're like, Jesus, man, could you have done this worse? Yeah. 
He makes some questionable decisions. Yeah. Um. Anyway. <laughs> so die hard. So die hard. <laughs> um. The the movie to me has become it, it's it's sort of shorthand for uh, a kind of fun explosive big popcorn movie so much so that other movies are described as die hard on a bus die hard yes speed was like the next one of these right well i mean it's uh it's widely regarded as one of the turning points of action movies of this was one of the first ones where it had an everyman right who screwed up he got shot his feet got torn up like all this stuff like he it was not Arnold just mowing down tons of dudes. It's like, yeah, he killed some guys, but he got as good as he gave, which is which is really rare for the time. When his wife sees him at the end of the movie. She's like, oh god, she can't even recognize him. She's like, wow, <laughs> you you look like a hundred miles of bad road, like Hans. <laughs> um, and then so so we're sort of pushing the envelope. When what is it? The following year, uh. It happens to them again at the airport in it's Die Hard 2. I don't know how long, how far, how much time passes between Die Hard and Die Hard 2. I don't know that's really clear. I want to say it was two years. But okay, two years. Well, the th- movie three is a direct result of one. Because the because villain in three is Hans's brother. Okay. Which you don't find until halfway through. But um, that's a fun reveal. Which I just ruined. But the movie came out like 20 years ago, so okay. deal with it. Spoiler alert for Die Hard 3. But then 4 and 5 are just... Yeah, it's... Other stuff. John McClane's fucking there. So, speaking of Hans' brother, speaking of Hans, Hans Gruber. So, I think he's he's definitely one of... I don't, I'm, I don't think we have to examine every scene of Die Hard, uh, but Hans is one of the great movie villains, I think. And, you know, Rickman... Nails him, does does a great job with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the problems, I there's only like one flaw I found in Rickman's performance, which was the whole reason the scene where Gruber and McLean are together, that one scene where they meet each other. Yeah. And Gruber pretends to be this dude, Bill Clay. <laughs> yeah. The whole reason that scene happened, and they were rewriting this thing on the fly as they shot, as you do with many movies. Uh, the whole reason that scene happened was it, off camera. Rickman was doing accents, and they loved his American accent so much that this scene sprung out of that. And they said, "You can totally do the American accent." And so he's pretending to be American, and apparently it's such a great American accent that McLean is like, "You go on TV with that accent." And all that I could think terrible. is that it was the worst accent I ever heard in my life. Well, the problem, I think the rest of the time he's talking is fine, but that part where he's on the ground is like, oh, don't shoot me. It's so weird. It has such an odd feel to it. I think When they're actually just chatting, it's not as bad. I think you're being generous. I, I couldn't, I couldn't distinguish much. Like, I could tell he was trying to speak a little differently than he was the rest of the movie. Sure, just not to be him from the radio. Right, but it wasn't... It didn't feel particularly American. It didn't feel particularly different than his normal speech, and it didn't feel particularly American to me. I was like, what do you mean accent? Like, there's, <laughs> it's a little different, but I wouldn't even call this an accent. And this was their whole genesis of the scene, was 
I thought it was because they wanted them to have a scene together. Rickman does an amazing American accent. We got to do this. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know. I love the fact that this story-wise happened because it mm-hmm. was great to see him. You know, you love to see him offer Hans a cigarette and then say, hey, you ever shoot one of these? Oh, the tension there is great when he takes the gun. He's like, I don't know. I shot some paintballs once. I don't know if you want to give me the gun or anything. <laughs> That's great. I love that scene. But he does not sound American. And then, speaking of questionable American accents, you got Theo, the computer guy who's on Hans's team, who's got some weird, way left Californian thing going on. <laughs> Like, I've never heard... Okay, this at least did sound American, but it sounded really over-the-top Californian. Like somebody... Like on Saturday Night Live when they do the Californians. <laughs> yeah. Theo sounded yeah, like them. I don't know. It was weird. Uh, and so, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't live in California in the 80s. Maybe that's just how it was. Maybe. maybe. Um, who else we got on their team? We got... Uh, we got Carl. We got Carl. And then we got Carl's brother. Who dies. He's That's pretty quick. He's the one that gets his neck snapped by accident. Right. And he becomes Santa Claus, right? Yes. Yes. Now I have Carl's brother. Oh. 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 Um, you, got the, you got the Asian dude who steals the candy bar. That guy is great. I'm sorry. He looks very out of place with this terrorist group. <laughs> He was there to represent Asian Dawn. I guess. But, you know, anybody with, with uh, gun talent and uh, need for money is going to sign he's on. He's a mercenary. Well. Yeah, he's a mercenary. Well, what's funny, so a little bit through the movie, so you can see there are vestiges of the old script in there because they talk about he's identified as Hans Gruber, who was formerly a member of whatever and had Radical just group. been excommunicated and you never got like a religious bent from this guy like he was pretending to do it but he really was but he actually was and then like they kicked him out for not being radical enough for wanting money i thought they kicked him out because he was too radical like in the file they were were reading they're like they kicked him out because they wanted nothing to do with him well that's what it sounded like was crazy that that's why i say it sounds like a vestige of the old script yeah you're absolutely right it's like then once he was out he's like well fine i'm gonna kill some americans but that wasn't his plan at all so the director uh the whole reason that they changed from being terrorist terrorists to thieves pretending to be terrorists is because the director who uh they got to do this film and i forget what the director's name was but he uh he didn't want to do the film and they wanted him so bad and they kept asking him please let's just come to it i don't want to do it terrorists is not fun you know nobody wants to see terrorists terrorists are Super depressed, like, because it happened, like, terrorism, you can't get behind a terrorist. It's just awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're like, you make them thieves, you can kind of root for thieves. You can get behind thieves. You like, can, you want them to lose in the end, but you can enjoy their can little enjoy. victories and stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so they made them secretly thieves, and it made them much less. He's right. It was a great change. It was. It really was. And it worked fantastically. But yeah, things like uh, the the... The plot of, of, of them being from these actual radical groups doesn't make a lot of sense if you they turn out to just be thieves. Right. Um, uh, Carl is great for me because <laughs> he lasts much longer than he should, that he has any business lasting in this Well, film. he gets killed like four times. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he just keeps coming back to, to do more damage. The guy who played Carl is not an actor. 
he was a ballet dancer. Nice. And I don't know who made this call, but they saw him on stage in the ballet he was doing, and they're like, this guy'd be great on screen. He, he like moves real well. He's great physicality, great, great physical presence. Let's give him an Uzi, make him a bad guy. And they did. Um, that being said, he did a great job. He did. He's really menacing. And maybe they just had a good like coordinator on set, but like all the gunplay and stuff is well done. Yeah. Which is not a foregone conclusion with action movies. Yeah. Like all that's done very well. Yeah, Especially I, for ballet dancers. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he was the next military ballet dancer. He he seemed to know his stuff. Yeah. Carl did all right. And there's a there's a few other bad guys. There's the guy who, who runs the the reception desk for most of the Yeah, movie. that guy, the the like southern dude. Yeah. He was cool. Um but yeah. They, I like how iconic like it's it's almost a joke that each of them has a specific accent and like a type of person, but it made them very Unique and identifiable. It's like, all right, it's that guy and that guy. Yeah. Okay. And like the ones that aren't identifiable just die really quickly. I liked that they sort of had this this group. They're sort of a uh, evil Ocean's Eleven, <laughs> yeah. right? They all have this stuff they're good at because there's like right. the dude that's patching into the phones, and then there's right. Carl's obviously the, like the enforcer. But Carl's also the wild card, right? Because when the dude who's patching in the phones is patching in the phones, who's his brother? Yeah. And I guess maybe and he's they just have fucking a, with his brother. Yeah, they just must have a relationship where they don't, because Carl just but if chops I'm, those phone lines with his. Well, if I'm not wrong about what was happening, I think Carl would have ruined the entire heist. That's if what he I had thought. done that a couple minutes earlier because it would have shut all the Seconds. locks down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was just like messing with his brother, but he was about to blow the whole thing for all of them. They were all going to go to jail or get killed. And he was smiling. <laughs> At the very least, not get $600 million. And his brother was like, I can't believe I came that close to almost losing everything because my brother was messing with me. <laughs> that being said, I have two older brothers who... Yeah, you believe they would do that. Would probably do that. Yes. Um, but they also have... Like they're they're professionals, they work well together. They all kind of defer to to Hans easily, but they they've got a sort of a tight knit professional group. This too. isn't their first no. rodeo. No, they've worked together. Yeah, in fact, like when Han, uh, when Carl's brother dies, I forget what Carl's brother's name was, but when Carl's brother dies and they discover it, the first thing Hans says is before they can do anything else, he says, "We got to get Carl down here and tell him his brother's dead." Not. Take care of this loose end and double check on the hostages. And right, let's right, go, right. This, we got to tell. We got to tell Carl his brother's dead. <laughs> let's piss Carl off real quick. <laughs> um, that being said, Carl is so blinded by rage and the need for vengeance in this movie after his brother dies that McLean could have been out of the picture at any point in this film if Carl would just do what Hans told him to do. <laughs> And he constantly decides not to do that and to go after McLean himself because he wants his bloody vengeance. It's but, believable, though. Yeah, this but he could have locked him in the elevator shaft. They could have. I'm moved. not convinced that would have worked as well as they think it would have. We'll never know, will we? No, we won't. Um, speaking of the elevator shaft, I mean, maybe I'm reaching here, but there's something vaguely Santa and chimney-ish about that. <laughs> Is that a bit of a reach? Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> um, so that scene where McLean 
lowers himself <laughs> over the elevator shaft and drops and tries to catch the next level down and misses and yeah, keeps he's, falling. he's dead. So apparently when they shot that, he was supposed to catch that friggin' level <laughs> and stop. <laughs> he did not. The stuntman missed it and kept going. And they said, this is great. Just film another shot of him catching the next level. <laughs> and it'll look twice as spectacular as if he'd caught the first time. And they were right. It does. Yeah. It's fantastic. That was intense. Yeah. Because you're like, you know he has to make it, but still, and then he misses it. You're like, ah! Um, so, about John. John strikes me as, I mean, he's, obviously he's an action hero. He's very, very capable. But throughout the film, what I love most about him is that he it was desperately trying to stop the action from happening. He did not enjoy the reluctant being in the hero, thick of yeah. this at all. And he was terrified every time he had to, for instance, look down the elevator shaft <laughs> or lower himself over the side of the building by the fire hose and say, like, I swear I will never go anywhere high again. Um, that's kind of great, great character to get behind. I feel like he really lost all of that in the later movies. For sure. Like... After 2. I liked 2. 2 was fun. Um, then I saw 3 and I was like, hmm. And I didn't even bother with 4 and 5. I kind of liked 3. 4 is not... I mean, it's not good. But it's not bad. Okay. 5 is a travesty. I wish it did not exist. Is 5 the one with the guy from the uh, Mac computer commercial playing his son? Justin Long playing his son? No, that's 4. Oh, that's 4. 5 is the one with Jai Courtney. In Russia, for no particular his reason. His daughter is in that one? His daughter's in four. Oh, both his son and daughter in four. No. Daughter in four, son in five. Okay. And in five, he his son works for the CIA and convinces his dad to go with him to Russia. Nice. And, like, the stuff happens, and John keeps saying, like, I'm supposed to be on vacation. <laughs> and, like, that's a good, like, trailer blurb, except that he wasn't on vacation. He specifically went here to help his CIA son... Like, with a mission. And he says it, like, four times. And you're like, no, you're not. You're not on vacation, John. Stop <laughs> saying that. If you didn't want to be here, don't come. You knew what was happening. Uh, also, the movie's terrible, but... <laughs> <laughs> that has always bothered me. Uh, uh, yeah, I... When we were watching... Um, what, we watched two nights ago? Yeah, two nights ago. <laughs> when we were watching, I... I've seen this movie, I don't know how many times. I completely forgot that he even had kids, much less two of them. Um, yeah, they show up later, man. But of course, that's who the giant teddy bear is for. Uh, also, children. Uh, movie four has Timothy Oliphant as the bad guy. I love Timothy Oliphant. He's, he's the best, man. Like, four has a lot going for it. Like, it is not nearly as tight as this or anything, but like, it's a fun movie. It's worth watching. Side note, uh, as a Timothy Oliphant fan, did you watch Justified? Because it was Absolutely. amazing. I we should just do a Justified podcast. Oh, God, I love that show. Actually, you know what? Illuminatus is canceled. <laughs> We're just going to watch Justified and talk about it. I would every totally rewatch episode. that show because that was a so great good. show. <laughs> Damn. Um, anyway, uh, one of the things that uh, McLean does. Every time he's given the opportunity is uh, side side glare 
at beautiful women who pass by him. <laughs> he can't not look. He can't, like, getting off the plane, stewardess. Getting some champagne at the party. Yeah, waitress. Waitress. <laughs> the poster of the girl. The, <laughs> the nudie poster While being magazine. chased by men with guns. Hello, girls, he says to the poster that's hanging on the wall. To be fair, that point, that was actually like a plot point. Okay, so the, the sure. stewardess thing is actually, like, weird. I think they're just trying to say, this is a guy who, you know, probably could, I guess they're saying, this guy is a guy who probably could be with other women, doesn't want other women, wants her, wants Holly. I didn't get the doesn't want feeling from any of those. Well, he doesn't pursue anything. Sure. Listen, Brent, we, we all know how hard it is to beat the women away. <laughs> when we both look just like <laughs> Bruce Willis when you look like, in his prime. When you look like prime Bruce Willis the way we do. No. I have about as much hair as prime Bruce Willis, <laughs> but that's about it. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's constantly glancing at them. And yeah, he does. It is part of the story that he sees that poster in the, in the yeah, the construction the, area. The, yeah, the nudie magazine that he sees, like it comes back around and he realizes where he is, which was a nice point for him and us to have some sort of idea of what had just occurred. Because it can get confusing in this building, where especially when are, you're going through like air ducts and stuff. There like, are multiple are floors, and you don't know exactly where he is in regard to where where we've been already. And what I thought was interesting is they don't subtitle any of the German. That's right. There yeah. are a couple scenes where. Like, most of the time, it's just like, schnell, schnell. And if you've seen, like, war movies ever, I know it, it's, just, it's just quick. But, like, there's a scene when uh, the two guys with the rocket launcher are about to shoot the, the RV. And they, they have, like, three lines with each other in German. And then they cut away. It's like, you never know what they said. It was, it was benign stuff. It was like, hand me the rocket. But, like, <laughs> it was such an odd point. Well, it's funny because, like, when I first saw this movie, I did not speak German. So I knew none of that stuff. And then later on, I was like, why is this here? It's so funny that you, <laughs> that you sort of do speak German now. <laughs> yeah. Like, you don't speak fluent German as far as I know. No, no, no. But you're, you can get along. I know enough to, like, listen to Die Hard and know what they're saying. And, like, when they say, oh, he's on floor 34, and then they go head up. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> um, But, yeah, the, the fact that, like, they had, like... Uh, a scene of dialogue with each other in a different language, no subtitles, no nothing, and like, it's I, not like Spanish where like half the population knows it. Like nobody speaks German. It was such a weird scene. They even titled the movie itself in German. The hard. The hard. The <laughs> hard. Don't, don't let me laugh while I'm drinking. <laughs> oh, the hard. And then part two, the harder. The harder. Um, the hard, the harder. <laughs> so now let's talk about uh, you got you got Al who uh, again played by Reginald Dell Johnson. He does a great role, a uh, great job supporting John, being his man in the band, kind of talking him through. Stay strong, you can do it. All that stuff. Every other cop that we're introduced to, or law enforcement official that we're introduced to, is not worth a damn in this movie. There's only. Like, three competent, good people in the entire movie. There's, like, John, his wife, and Al. Uh, Argyle's pretty competent. 
Sure. And, and for we'll, a limo we'll, driver, we'll give him we'll give him our guy. For a limo driver, he does he goes a hell of a lot way beyond but what he was supposed to do as a limo driver. Every single LAPD officer other than Al, like <laughs> even the SWAT guys who go up and like the part where he gets a rose bush so, thorn in it's like Ow. approach the building and one of them says ow because the thorns hit him damn and he just stops running he's like oh. Oh. he flinches he was like this right is... through the kevlar it's funny this is so good but that, okay, all those humorous touches the thorn hitting the swat guy the the dude the mercenary stealing the mars bar and the and the Crackle. It, it works, man. It adds a lot. Yeah, like really all the does. all the flavor, man. You got to be able to laugh at these things. Yeah, or, or this movie takes itself way too seriously. So then we have the LAPD, or like not even LAPD, the, the law enforcement officials, cop or FBI. These people are actively awful. Like the 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 guy who played the principal in the Breakfast Club, who's the deputy chief. Whatever that actor's name is, sorry, folks, <laughs> we didn't we didn't write that down. But that actor we'll the boys shows up when he shows up. It is like he is determined to say nothing is happening. There's a body that fell onto Al's patrol car while they were <laughs> shooting machine guns at him, and the deputy chief is like, "It could have been a depressed broker." Sure. <laughs> throwing himself out a window while people fired bullets at you. <laughs> like, that's a legitimate theory that could ever hold up. Well, it's funny because he is the, not the villain, but like a passive antagonist, I guess, up until around the time the FBI shows up. And then the FBI is so much worse that he's, <laughs> he starts becoming a positive influence where he's like, uh, I don't know if bringing a couple gunships to shoot up the hostage zone is like a great idea, guys. That's like, <laughs> exactly right. He is he is the worst dude until worse people show up. And then he's like, listen, I know I'm awful. But you guys but are even worse. This seems even more ridiculous to me. And you're absolutely right. That's the way it goes. And then they give him like two great lines of the, we're going to need more FBI guys. Wow. And man, I hope that wasn't a hostage when Hans Gruber falls. <laughs> Oh boy, I hope that wasn't a hostage. Um, yeah, and this guy, this deputy chief, you know, he he seems to be like the kind of guy who, again, in some alternate versions of this this movie, you could see him as being like part of the bad guy's team secretly. Yeah, like, at first, like he's so he's so counterproductive. If they hadn't so led, slowing them down. But if they hadn't already had the scene with the uh like nine one one operator who is like actively like, You need to get this is an emergency line, you need to get off of this. And he's like, It is an emergency. Um that whole scene where like we'd already been She was awful, by the way. Terrible. Yeah, was she in on it? Like they, we'd already been prompted for some LAPD incompetence that when he arrived it wasn't like this is out of place weird. They'd already fucked up stuff. So. I guess you're right. Man, why is LAPD so awful in this film? They're terrible. There's only one really great cop in the whole film. And he shot a kid. He did. I don't know that there are any really good cops on the LAPD. He's also in not this at movie. his desk where he's supposed to be. He's out, yeah, he's out buying Twinkies. Patrol car and buying Twinkies. Quote for his wife. <laughs> Yet he knows the full ingredient list I of su- a Twinkie. I suspect he helped himself to some yes. of those Twinkies. Um,. Yeah, I I don't know. It just felt like 
you know, there are ways you can do the, you could, there are ways you can do the obstruction character where he genuinely feels he's doing the right thing. I couldn't for a minute believe that the deputy chief genuinely felt he was acting. Well, it's funny because like, usually that sort of character is like a cover my ass character. Sure. I don't want to do anything brave or what's right because I need to do it by the book so no one can fire me later. But at least you could understand following a book. Right. He wasn't following anything. He was just being an idiot. (laughs) Right. And then when he, being an idiot, sends the SWAT team into the building after McLean says, please, for the love of God, pull the SWAT team back. They're going to get killed. He sends the SWAT team into the building and the SWAT team gets mowed down. The cars are exploding. And he tells the SWAT team captain. Pull your men back. They're getting killed. This is the deputy chief who's awful. Telling the SWAT yes, team and the SWAT guy's like, no, they got it. SWAT team character's <laughs> like, nope, nope, we're good. I'm Even gonna... though my men are laying there crying and screaming for like we're almost ten in. minutes. We're almost in. Just give them five more seconds. We're almost in. <laughs> no, but after that, so that like the, the bad guys shoot them in the legs and stuff. Like just wound them. They don't kill anyone. Yeah. And then they send in the RV. But that whole time that the RV is coming, which is like... The RV's like way down the road, and then it has this whole approach scene. It takes kind of a while. It does. They are laying on the ground screaming <laughs> as they die. Because see, when the RV shows up and gets stuck on the on the stairs, like I, it wasn't even effective before it got shot with a rocket. Oh. Those guys are still there screaming about their bullet wounds. <laughs> like this is awful. Oh, it's the worst. So yeah, we have awful dispatch. Awful deputy chief, awful SWAT team captain, followed by awful FBI agents. Agents Johnson and Johnson, <laughs> which I loved. Especially the scene where Agent Johnson phones in to headquarters He's and like, says, this is Agent yes, Johnson. Johnson. No, the other one. <laughs> you want to know what the guy on the other line said? It's like, Agent Johnson. Uh, the black one? The black one? <laughs> nope, the other one. My favorite thing between them is when they're in the helicopter. He's like, oh, it's just a Saigon, right? And he's like, I was 12. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, those scenes with the helicopters. So when they filmed that. Which is kind of awesome. And again, this was all filmed right here in L.A. And uh, Nakatomi Plaza itself. You've been there, right? Yeah. So, so I... When I first came to L.A., one of the things I wanted to see was Nakatomi Plaza because I knew it was in L.A., so I saw it from the outside. What I didn't realize is that maybe two months ago, I went and had a meeting with Fox (laughs) in Fox Plaza, which is Nakatomi Plaza, totally unaware of where I was actually going (laughs) until we were getting ready to watch this. And I was like, wait, I know didn't I go to Fox? Wait a second. And then, like, look up the address. I'm like, damn it, I didn't even realize it. You need another meeting at Fox, man. Oh, man. Well, I'll tell you this. It does not look the same inside no. as it did a 1985 movie. I don't know. You could try and find if there's any floors. It's not under- the floor I was on. If you can find any floors in the construction, look for the nudie mags taped to the wall. <laughs> yeah, they didn't let me into the, <laughs> into the ductwork. None of the cool stuff. They but, didn't let me on the roof. But they, they, they got permission to fly their two... Hel- the two gunship helicopters uh, around Fox Plaza. They really did that? That was nuts. So they really did that for two sh- two flybys. And then the cops shut them down and said, you can't, you got to get these out of here. I don't care what permission you have. <laughs> you understand what you're doing to people in this area? You got to get this out of here. So then they were done. And so they had to film, you know, the big explosion in the helicopter 
that all done with the big explosion at the top of the building. It was all models, right? That was all models, and it looks spectacular. It was great, yeah. The practical effects in this movie are wonderful. And almost none of it is done, like, with computers or of any kind. I mean, this was 1988. Nothing is done... It's all like you know. Practical. You don't want to see CG from 1988. No, it's all practical explosions and and models, and it all looks fantastic. Um, it holds up great. It really does. And we watched it in 4K or whatever. Like it. Sometimes when you watch older movies in like the high res that have been like retransferred from the film, like all of a sudden you start seeing some seams. That is a shit. This looked great. No, this did. Uh, one of the things that happens in this movie is. Uh, <laughs> Hans and Carl are in a gunfight with McLean, and Hans yells to Carl, I think he yells this in German. He says, she's den finster, which is shoot the window. <laughs> and Carl doesn't it. understand it in Carl German. Carl doesn't understand German. <laughs> Carl looks at him like, Carl what? is the most German looking dude I've ever seen in my life. You know Carl is spelled with a K. That is That dude is German. And he knew Hans, what that and was. And then Hans says it in English, shoot the windows. Shoot the glass. It's funny, he says shoot the glass shoot after the glass. that. But um, but I was going to say, he shoots out the glass and McLean has to walk and run through all that broken glass. And throughout this film, McLean has no shoes on because this all happened while he was like... Getting well, he was balling his feet in the rug. Fist with your toes. Um, and so his feet get t- totally cut up because he's run through all this glass. That uh, When that was done, what they did was they put these special shoes on bruce willis's feet that looked like feet which is apparently i didn't see this myself but if you look closely in certain scenes his feet are way too big <laughs> because he's wearing extra feet which made no like sense hobbit to me. feet well it made no sense to me because i thought why not just use sugar glass instead of glass that's not sharp like right yeah like i've been in school plays that used sugar glass instead of real glass and so like, I had a bottle that was made of spun sugar glass, and you smash it, and it breaks into it. It sounds... It looks. That sounds different. like it would be really difficult to do. Not really. I mean, no. I don't know who did it, but somebody did it. And okay. did this for us. That's awesome. You, you smack, we had two of them, so we were like, we could use one for the rehearsal and one for the show. <laughs> uh, and so you smash it, and it, but it's not, like, sharp like real glass. It's, mm-hmm. just, it's just, like, hard sugar. And you could walk on that. I don't know why they didn't make all of the window like that. But apparently it was real glass on the floor, and they just gave him extra padding on his... Well, you don't actually see him walk over the glass. You cut from all the glass being there and him looking at the exit to him crawling through uh, into the bathroom with super bloody feet. Yeah. Well, you do see You never have that, like, Home Alone moment where he's like, crunch, 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 you know? (laughs) You do see him... um... You see him, see him pull it out of his foot. Well, you do see him pulling it out of his foot, but you also see him smearing blood along behind him as <laughs> yeah. he walks. It was bad cuts. Oh, it was so disturbing. It's such watch. a weird thing. Like, if you had that kind of cut, like, in your shoulder, like, no big deal. On your feet, you're like, ugh. I don't know if there's some sort of visceral, like, hunter-gatherer, like, thing. It's like, I can't hunt anymore. It's like, you just, like, hate that feeling, but... And then when they show him pulling the glass out of his feet, that's even worse. Oh. In fact, I've read that uh, Bruce Willis still cringes when he sees that <laughs> that scene of him pulling the glass out of his feet. He says, I was there. I know I wasn't pulling actual glass out of my actual feet. But it still makes me go, ugh. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. Bruce Willis, uh, at this time in his career, had not done 
big films. I mean, he'd had a couple films, but they hadn't been big smash. Wasn't he like a TV guy up until this? Moonlighting. He yeah. did Moonlighting with Sybil Shepherd. Now, I remember Moonlighting. Moonlighting was funny and good. I I dug Moonlighting. He was he was a private eye named David Addison and he had to work with this uh this woman named Maddie Hayes who bought his private investigation company and basically became his boss and there was a romantic interest between the two of them and all that sure. stuff. And it was it was great because they had all they you know hated each other and they had all kinds of chemistry with each other and zinger one-liners but it was all comedy. It was straight this was much more serious action, much more uh, dire circumstances. He had a lot of great one-liners in this film, but it wasn't the light comedy of Moonlighting. It was more uh, laughing in the face of death kind of comedy. Right. And I thought he did amazing with it. Yeah, he nailed it. He absolutely did. And I'm sure, I mean, it's it's easily the film that set up the rest of his career, don't you think? Sure. It made him. Yeah. It allowed him to do uh, films later on, like The Fifth Element. <laughs> Fifth <laughs> Element, but I was thinking things, really interesting stuff that he's done that I've loved, like Twelve Monkeys. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's fantastic. I'll tell you something. I don't mind Fifth Element at all. Fifth Element. Fifth well, Element. It's one of my favorite movies. Fifth but, Element's amazing. But it being like a. Everyone's having fun in Fifth Element. Sure. It is not a serious, like, oh, I need to show my acting range kind of movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of my favorite Bruce Willis performances is um, The Sixth Sense. Sure. It was incredible. Unbreakable is pretty fantastic. Um, a lot of great performances out of Bruce. But uh, John McClane is sort of his his superhero. Uh, I think he was in. I didn't watch these movies, but he was in the uh, the um, what do they call it? Expendables. Oh, the Expendables. Thank you. How yeah, did yeah. you How did you pick what I was thinking out of that? I can just I, see it in your eyes. You had that Expendables. Where did look? you find that in my? <laughs> yeah, the Expendables is exactly what I was looking for. It's not a look you see very often. <laughs> I haven't seen the Expendables. In fact, I haven't said the word Expendables in maybe two years, but it looked like that. I haven't seen the Expendables, but the whole idea of the Expendables is it's the alumni of action movies, right? Sure. They all get together for their high school he, reunion or he's whatever. He's not one of the main guys. Him and Schwarzenegger show up as like, they do like Special their cameos. cameo, okay. and they're like, they hire them or something. I don't really remember. The, the plot is not important in the Expendables, if you can imagine. You know what's kind of cool? One of the... Okay, it was a stupid movie. It was a dumb movie, but it had a great Willis role. There was a G.I. Joe film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was the sequel to the first G.I. Joe. He was the G.I. Joe. He was the original G.I. Joe. General <laughs> Joe, Joe Colton. And he was great in that role. And then he was just like, call me Joe. <laughs> it was fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I remember the scene where he like, you know, there's a big battle and him and uh, Lady J are fighting it out and they survive and Lady J had some... You okay? And he's like, my cholesterol's a little high. <laughs> and she just rolls her eyes at him. Like, but that's great action movie banter. Um, one of the things that I think really makes this movie work and really makes you care about the outcome is that you care about his relationship with Holly. Yeah, you want to see them reconcile. Played by Bonnie Bedelia. And or at I, the very least, you don't want to see her get found out and murdered. Right. And I think Bonnie Bedelia is great in this role. Um, 
I really kind of half expected her, I think the first time I saw this movie, to be pulled over the ledge at the end by Hans Gruber so that she was at least dangling over that ledge. Didn't quite get that far. I will see. I remember thinking when I first saw this, I was like, oh, they're playing this. They're just making it drag it out. But then, like, Hans, like, has the gun and starts pulling it slowly towards him to fire. I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I actually really thought she might get shot for 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 that split second. And, but if you think about the movie, like, no, it was never going to happen. Like, right. this isn't played as that kind of movie. Like, yeah. it does some serious stuff. It's got, you know, how did shoot a kid? But, but, but it like, was a kid you never met or you can get the name of. That's right. It's all told... And other than that, the only people, the only, like, civilian casualties are Nakamura? Yeah, the The boss. Security guard at the desk. Sure, I guess he counts. But the boss. (laughs) That man had a wife and five children. I'm sure he did. And then, uh, Bubby, whatever. whatever Oh my god, we can't not talk about Ellis. (laughs) Ellis, that's his name. Oh, Ellis, you gem. The whole time we're watching this movie, every scene with Ellis... You and I looked at each other, and we just couldn't believe how wonderfully smarmy and awful this guy was. God, especially that first scene. So they walk in on him doing coke at his, <laughs> at his like partner's desk. Not even his desk. Nope. He went to somebody else's office. To somebody do coke. else's office to do coke off her desk, and then he's just like, every time he opens his mouth, he's like, yeah, and you're oh, like, oh, the worst. You can't believe like, how show awful. Show me what. Show me how rich you are. It's like. Damn it, man. He was the worst. Every, like, from like, jump. Even worse than I remembered. And I've seen this movie a lot. I mean, it's it's one thing when you get to the part where he says, Hans, Bubby, Bubby I'm your white knight. <laughs> sure, you hate him then. But there's not a moment when he's not the most, like, you need a shower after every word he says. <laughs> and he's so great at that. Kudos to you, Ellis. Yeah. I would never want this movie to be without it. I'd have a hard time, like, hanging out with it, dude, after seeing this movie. She's like, I don't know if I can hang out with you, man. What's great is that he's, like, the vice president of international contracts or something. Like, he's got a huge position. He must have one of those positions that's just wine and dine people, and it works. So, I don't know. Professionally, have you ever dealt with sales folks? Like, Mm -hmm. I remember there was one time I was working for a company and I had to go to a uh, the the opening of a new sales office. Uh, and I went and there was a big party to open the sales office and a, and a whole sales team was in place and they had a big uh, dinner and celebration. Let me tell you something. These salespeople, they partied harder than than anyone I've ever seen before. And I could not even dream of keeping up with them. I no. was like, guys, I'm going back to the hotel. Good luck. I am out. I'll I'll remove names to protect the guilty, but uh, we once had a party with our sales team and like just all all the team at uh, House of Blues downtown. Mm-hmm. And um, I distinctly remember like one of our sales guys. He was drinking for drink with one of our editors, and. Um, the editor was smashed and our and our sales guy was just he was perfectly fine like he i guess he's just a functioning alcoholic i don't know 
But um, I was like, dude, you, you need to stop drinking. Like, this is, you're gone, man. And he's like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> and like the sales guy's like, no, nah, he's fine. He's fine. I was like, fine. And I had a Sharpie on me and I wrote his name, made me do it on on the editor's arm. <laughs> and he genuinely blacked out, woke up the next morning and saw, <laughs> we'll just say Roy. He said, Roy, Roy. made me do it. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> It's like that guy. That line, sales of, guys. They, they that just line of work them. is just. I guess it's because it's a very high pressure kind of thing, and so they live fast and die hard. <laughs> but they live fast and party hard, basically. I think it's generally you just you take people out for drinks a lot. You grow, you get a tolerance. I don't know that all of them are alcoholics or anything, but maybe. Yeah, God bless them. Um, yeah, but this guy Ellis was just a cut above. Oh, there that aren't all Alice's. Can you imagine a, a sales force? Yeah, to be Alice's? fair, all the salespeople I knew, even if they were party harders, they weren't smart. They weren't Ellis. They were very nice people. It's a Rolex. <laughs> yeah, I never met anybody like that. Yeah, he goes out of his way to. I met some executives like that. He goes out of his way to impress John with the fact that the company gave Holly a Rolex. <laughs> like. All right, even if that's impressive, which I don't know how impressive that is. It's a watch. I know it's a great watch, but it's a watch. Um, You didn't give her the Rolex, right, Ellis? You had nothing to do with this, as far as I can tell. Why are you trying to claim all this credit? Like, what that part is a little weird. But it does, a, it does the callback for when it's the watch that they unhook to drop Hans and for them to be together. Symbolically, like, she cuts her ties Right? Is this... That's what... I actually wanted to bring this up. Is okay. like, is that supposed to be symbolic of her saying that she's going to give up her career and go back with John? I don't like, see why she would. She's the only... She's really successful in this role. But John does not move to L.A. He doesn't. But he apologizes... He tells her, like, he tells her via what he tells Al, I should have been more supportive when you started to be successful with so, this role. I haven't seen two in a really long time. They're still married. They are. They are still married, and they are um, now they're just commuting. They are now happily reconciled with each other. Okay. Um, I think he still works in New York, but he is going back and forth, and and like they're they're that's like they're that flying, awful. It, yeah, but they're making a long distance thing work. Like at no point in two is their relationship in any question. Okay. They are locked into each other. Because I don't know that she's in three. Three is the one with Samuel L. Jackson, right? Yes, and that's in New York. He, she is not in three. I know they're divorced by four. Right? So I remember that happening. I'm like, that sucks because, <laughs> because there's such a great chemistry and, and you really want their love to work out. He seems like he'd be really difficult to be married that's to. That's true. To be fair. That's true. Even when he says, he said he's sorry once after a life-threatening event, it doesn't, it shouldn't require that. Also... <laughs> So I mean, I, like I said, I love I love Die Hard. I love Die Hard too. I thought that was a fun movie. Although it's not as great as Die Hard, it's still a good sure. follow up. It's solid. Die Hard three I watched and did not enjoy very much, partly because, um, he's become so much less likable since Die Hard two in yeah. Die Hard three. He's no longer this affable guy, and he doesn't seem to really like. I think there are even some scenes where he's like trash talking his wife. Like, he doesn't even seem to really appreciate Holly anymore, so I'm not surprised at all that it actually 
goes that way and that they get a full-on divorce. Yeah. Um, I like Jeremy Irons a lot, though. Well, he's... He's great. He's Jeremy Irons. Of course you like him. Adrian Knight. Absolutely. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> we got sidetracked with Ellis because you got to give Ellis props, but... Um, he deserves uh, some podcast time. He absolutely does. But um, Holly's wonderful, and she gets uh, a lot of screen time in two as well, where she's mostly uh, a foil to the reporter, the smart, the, the slimy right, that reporter. Guy. That guy the one I back. really didn't need to return, but... Templeton Peck from Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dickless here. <laughs> it's, it's true. This man has no doubt. <laughs> um, he's great. I mean... It's a little bit from the Lost Ghostbusters episode. Does he always play that? I mean, have you ever seen him do like anything besides the jerk? Hey, man, if people, if you get paid for it, you just keep doing it, I guess, man. I can't imagine he re- he resents the roles he's gotten. I mean, they're great jerk roles. Maybe he's a dick in real life. Who knows? Well, maybe, maybe probably he's, not. Maybe he's the nicest guy in the he world. Might be. I bet he's a sweetheart. You got to figure somebody who's that awful on screen is probably very nice in real life. And he just plays it up. Like, I don't know. There's also a lot of people that are just them on screen reading lines. You know Nick, what I mean? Nicholson. Like, yes. There are people that act. And like, they're... You've said this before. This is your theory of acting. Yeah. My theory of acting is that there are people who are genuinely... Like, they turn into other people to do their acting. Sure. And let's say that's like half of the people you see in movies. But the other half are just them in those situations. You know what I mean? And like, Catherine Zeta-Jones is always Catherine Zeta-Jones. And they are cast in those roles because everyone knows Because everyone wanted Catherine Zeta-Jones to right. play that part. Not because they thought Sam Rockwell could transform himself into being this dude. Right. Um, By the way, Sam Rockwell could transform himself into being anybody. He could be Catherine Zeta-Jones if you want <laughs> I want him to play Catherine Zeta-Jones in the Catherine Zeta-Jones story. He's one of my favorite actors. He's the best. He is um, the best. We got a lot but, of bests. Jeremy Irons and, and Alan Rickman and Sam Rockwell are all the best. There's a lot of there's a lot of great great actors out there. Um, damn, Sam Rockwell would be a good diehard villain, wouldn't he? Yeah, he would. That's why I like Iron Man too. Yeah, he's great in Iron Man too. What what are we doing? Yes, yeah, Sam Rockwell's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> he's the Sam Rockwell fan club. Go see him in Moon as soon as possible. Um. Uh. So. Anyway, in, in Die Hard and Die Hard Two, I, I love I love the relationship between John and Holly. Um, they really they really have a lot of chemistry. They make it work really well. It's the heart of that of that movie. It's I think you don't really care at all about the fate of Nakatomi Plaza if Holly is not at the center of that. No, you don't care about if the corporation loses the money. Hans even says in the beginning that like this is three days worth of revenue for you. You don't care. Yeah. This is this give me is the business. password. Let's not. Why are we even talking about what, this? Do you, this isn't worth dying for. You're probably worth more than this, honestly. Not killing the executive, like killing that executive, costs the money, costs the company more than. Let me ask you this: Were they always going to kill uh, Tagahashi? Oh, I don't think so. I think if they'd given him the password, they would have put him back with the other. You think people? They didn't really do anything sadistic ever, especially not Hans. See, I think that they didn't do anything sadistic ever except for his death. That seemed completely unnecessary. When he was like, I can give you, I, I don't have the information you're looking for. It's not like he was being totally uncooperative. He was saying, I don't, I, I don't have the information you're looking for. I oh, can't. I always assumed he was lying. Oh, really? 
Okay. You think he could have easily given it? I don't think they would have asked him if they didn't think he had it. All right. And even the prompt was like, give executive password. But then, but then, uh, Hans is just so cavalier. How do they get this vault open to do business? But Hans was so cavalier about, okay, shoot. Like, it seemed to me like he was always going to do away with that guy. Like, it just seemed like such a My point was, I think it was more ambivalence than it was sadism. I think if he'd given the password, he would have said, okay, right, that's a fair point. Hey, back there, you, you did your part. He, you know, he would have held up his end of the deal, I think. We do know that Hans was at least on a basic, very basic level, reasonable to human needs. When he's told that there was a pregnant woman out front, he... And she just has a hurt back. And he's like, yeah, fine, we'll bring a couch out. We'll bring out. a couch out to her. And when he's told, you better start letting us go to the bathroom in groups or it's going to get messy, he says, yeah, you're probably right about that. We'll start doing that. Yeah. It's not like... He could have just let them pee on themselves. Yeah. Again, this is Hans... I think he would have put it, taken it back. This is Hans Gruber, who is insanely radical political dissident Hans Gruber. The, I don't get why they didn't cut that line. It was yeah, completely unnecessary. That's sloppy. That seems like that's just a sloppy... They didn't, they didn't go back and fix that. Super sloppy, because I didn't catch it until my 30th viewing. <laughs> to be fair, you don't catch a lot of things until you're discussing them on the podcast. That's fair, friend. that's fair. There's so many things about movies that I've watched a million times on this podcast that never occurred to me until you and I were talking about it on this podcast. This, happened, this happens a lot uh, like with book club books that I've already read, and then I reread and we talk about it, I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, that was a big bag of shit. Whoops. <laughs> Like, cause like, for whatever reason, just the way my mind works, I can skip over the crap and just enjoy the good parts most right. of the time. But as soon as I have to talk about it, I'm like, oh man, yeah, this was bad. That was bad too. Dang it. So, if you had to, if you had to summarize the best features of this film... What would those be for you? For for me, I'm going to say, uh, yes, it's an action movie, but my favorite parts of the movie are really more of the um, the interactions between John and Gruber. Mm -hmm. um, the back and forth between them, even though most of the movie, they never are in the same scene together, is fantastic. And you get this great uh, dynamic between the two of them as they're back and forth on that walkie-talkie. Um, I mean, I love all the explosions and everything. Don't get me wrong. I'm a red-blooded American boy. But <laughs> but the yippee ki motherfucker, it's gold. <laughs> Bubby. Bubby. <laughs> um, I mean, that's that's what I... That's what I love about this movie. I'll watch it every time it's on because I want to see Hans and John talk to each other. To me, it's that extra layer of details. Like, clearly a really good writer. I don't know if it was the original guy or they had someone else come in and pepper in the the pixie dust or what. But, like, there's a lot of, like, really great moments and details about, like, Specifically about, like, all the bad guys. They're all humanized. Like, not just Hans, obviously. But sure. all the other people are, like, people. They're not just... I mean, a couple are just people to be shot. But, like, we already talked about it. We We know their names. How yeah. often does that happen? All the flunkies get names. 
That's and great. Like, and like they talk about Marco and Klaus and all these guys. And Not only like, good names, but familial relationships. Yeah, we know a lot about these dudes. Um, I just feel like a lot of care went into the dialogue and stuff that isn't always there in movies. And like you can draw a lot from everything everyone says. It's very economical in its dialogue. Mm-hmm. And it's actually kind of a long movie. I don't know what the running time was. It was two hours, 12 minutes. Holy, really? Yes. I did not realize that. That's I didn't a fast either. two hours and 12 minutes. I didn't either because I remember, uh, so we have a new baby, so staying up late yeah. is a commitment. But I was like, well, it's diehard. It's probably like, I don't know, 90 minutes, 100 That's maybe. what I was thinking. And then, and then I like, you know, I press play and pause and I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> I thought it was at most an hour and a half. No, it's, it's pretty long. Um, but that said, there's no time wasted. Like everything is towards the point and like, it's just, it's really tight. Yeah. That's a tight two hours and 12 minutes. I mean, you say, I mean, it is, but. But where do you lose the, the only scene that like. I wouldn't cut anything out. There's like, there's like two scenes where action is not crazy action happening. There's a scene with Argyle in the limo on the way over to Nakatomi Plaza, which is... Arguably, Argyle lifts out. Sure. But he was you, you fine. You could. But he was fine to have in. I wouldn't want to lift him in. But if you had to cut the time, you could cut it. But even, even the conversation with the dude on the plane about the about making, ball, making fists with your toes is directly what he is doing when the terrorists come. It's why he's not wearing shoes for the whole movie, sure. which is a major plot point. Like, everything means something. The whole watch scene is directly related to the end when they, like, take the watch off. That's why, I don't know, it's like, that's the watch and, like, all this other stuff. These little scenes with Ellis matters because Ellis is the one that gives him up to Hans. And, like, I don't know, man. Like, it's, uh... The only thing that matters about Templeton Peck from Ghostbusters scenes is that it is his investigative reporting somewhat... That leaks them to yeah. that leaks her identity to Hans. He does actually lift out. You could. You could easily have the movie without him in it. Yeah, you could because Hans could discover her identity just by lifting up that picture in her office, which he, he eventually just never does. Did. Right, but he only does that after he sees the the TV report. But he could have done that at any time. He's sitting at her desk. The whole time, <laughs> it's literally st- sitting behind her, fa- behind him, face. Well, down. he could if he'd done it in the beginning, it wouldn't have meant anything. He had had to have been after he actually met him. That's true. But yeah, that's. But still, like them meeting the stuff with the detonators and like all this stuff. Like, there's a lot of like. Uh, in writing, you always talk about like, this scene happens, and then the next scene happens because of this scene. Like everything flows into each other. It all, it's all causal instead of. This happened, and then this happened somewhere else. Totally unrelated. And, like, this movie is a perfect example of, like, all of it flows really well. It really does. Um, and so, like, you know, we always do our, would you make this again? And it's like, would I make a fucking excellent written action movie? Sure. Well, so, <laughs> so it's, a, it's, this is, a, it's hard to ask for that. This is our bonus Christmas episode. Sure. Uh, as we speak, you have uh, one episode in the tank that you're already uh, hard at work editing. Yes. Um, in the in the edit mines. And this one is picking away. This one is <laughs> this one is <laughs> right on the tail of that for Christmas. And we wanted to do this one uh, basically because uh, 
Brent's a sucker for punishment, and we uh, we just wanted to have a Christmas episode. But as it's Christmas, I think we can give ourselves the gift of not even bothering to wonder if this movie should be remade. Because let's face it, five sequels, um, and then every four, four sequels, four sequels. Sorry, four sequels to the original, and then every movie, every action movie made since it came out has been compared is a derivative to, of it yeah. is a derivative of it so would you make this movie again not only would you it's been done several times a billion times i mean die hard on a plane is you know air force one yeah uh, <laughs> i mean speed die hard, die on, a hard on a bus yeah everything well, is die hard actually on something. almost every action movie up until like born yeah which born was like the super professional like Let's show all the action killer thing that culminates with, uh, uh, shit, John Wick. Yeah, which is like the the standard now. What I loved about the Bourne films, since you bring it up, is uh, that the Bourne films, which were sort of like analogous of Bond kind of kind sure, of yeah, action. Yeah, yeah. Ended up informing on Bond. You know, like Bond sort of followed that same path after. Yeah, the Bonds after that turned into like more Bond. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I. Which dig, I really like. I liked. dig the Born Bond very much. I love Casino it. Royale with. Um, That's a great movie. <laughs> I was about to call him James Bond. Yeah, obviously with James Daniel Bond. Daniel Craig. With Daniel Craig is, is, is my favorite Bond Casino ever. Casino Royale is fantastic. And uh, the, the new Bond movie I just uh, saw the trailer for come out soon. Uh, no Time to Die, I think it's called. Yeah. It'll be his last one. That'll be his last one. He might die. <laughs> no, there's no time for that. Um, well, what I was going to say was actually a movie I recently saw also with Daniel Craig is Knives Out. Which made so me... Th- eager to see that. Well, it made me think a lot of Die Hard. Really? Well... I thought it was a, more of a just a murder mystery. It is. I, it is not an action movie. Oh, okay. But the way that they merge a specific genre of film with comedy and really tight writing... Like, Die Hard is to action films as Knives Out is to murder mysteries. Great. Okay. Great. It's like that. It's got that same feeling. Awesome. I'm seeing it next week. It's, it's great. Enjoy I'm it. going to enjoy it. Well, I uh, won't tell you who did it. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Do you have do you have anything else you want to cover before we wrap up? For Die no, Hard? I think we're good. Um, uh, okay. Sorry. See one, two, three, four. Never see Die Hard Five. Didn't happen. But you would recommend four. Sure, it's fun. Okay. So it. I don't. I don't want you to think that it's like a great movie. But like, it's fine. It's got some. It's got some parts in it. It's got. I like um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is his daughter. She's fantastic. I love her. Uh, Timothy Elephant is the villain. Is great. Mary Elizabeth Winstead is Bruce Willis's daughter in the movie. Sure. Really? Okay. She's Lucy McLean. Yes. Um, there's some good stuff in it. All right. And it is a it is a serviceable action movie. Like if you're sick, and this is like the dollar rental on iTunes, like sure do it. And five is the one with Justin Long. No. Justin Long is also in four. Okay. I thought we said Justin Long this. is just I'm... some like weird. The only person in five other than McClane. Bruce Willis is Jai Courtney. Oh, okay. That's it. Yeah. Why would you even make that movie? I don't know. 
Maybe they were contractually obligated at a certain point. I don't know. Everything about it, the action, the dialogue, the plot, there's not like one redeeming quality in that whole fucking movie. I saw it in the theater and I was angry leaving it. When you come from such stock as the Die Hard series, I mean, they're not all the same quality as Die Hard, but it's a strong series. It's got, sure, it's got good roots. But man, Bruce Willis's agent should have been like, no, do not do this. But he did that. Bruce Willis actually has quite a few uh, movies he shouldn't have done. Well, that's true. He has that movie with Tracy Morgan, which is like a parody of Die Hard. Like Tracy Morgan quotes Die Hard in the movie. It's so weird. I have no idea what this is, but now I have I c- to know. I couldn't tell you what the name of it is. I guess Damn. look it up on IMDb, but... I can't imagine them in, see a, that in a scene together, Bruce Willis and Tracy Morgan. I'll tell you, just watch the trailer. The trailer is bad. Oh, no. Like, not like it's poorly edited. It's like, know that every trailer is the best scenes in the movie you're about to see, and this is the best they could find. Oh, yeah. And watch that trailer. All right. Well, listen. <laughs> the bottom line is what we wanted to tell everybody is that Die Hard is wonderful and a Christmas movie. And Merry Christmas. If you are a fan of Illuminates, we wanted to say Merry Christmas to all of you. Uh, we wish you all the best. Even if you hate Illuminates. No, if you hate Illuminates, screw each and every one of you. <laughs> but I would like to propose this to you, Brent. Um, if you listen to an hour 20 of Illuminates, yeah. you're worthy of them. Merry I would like Christmas. to propose this. If we are still doing Illuminates this time next year, yeah. Uh, what about, say, Gremlins as our christmas bonus it is christmas based is it a christmas movie we could settle that i think so <laughs> i haven't seen that like since i was a kid it sounds like it's i remember somebody gets a gremlin up, up the butt in the toilet and that's about all i remember <sighs> well i think it ends that way doesn't it <laughs> i hope that's not true but we could find out it's something like that it's something gross we could find out um See you in a year. See you in a year. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to do it for us here at Illuminates, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we might you, be Illuminates by then. Yeah, we, we could be. There's, there's rich tapestry. There's a lot of great stuff in there. there. Um, it's got to culminate with Point Break or something. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> if you like what you uh, heard here today, uh, you can head on over to iTunes or anywhere that better podcasts are found. You can... Even head over to our website at illuminates.rocks. Check us out there. Uh, if you do like us, you want to give us a like on iTunes, give us a review, we'd sure appreciate that. You can also reach out to us at uh, uh, podcast at gmail.com. And until, well, let's say next year at this point, uh, we've done our job, Hollywood. You do yours. <laughs>